integral meta-theory speaks of at least five or six major elements that help determine any specific occasion. Quadrants, levels, lines, states, shadows, types. What we've been talking about here is basically just one of those major factors, that of levels, or stages, or waves of development, what we call growing up, including the development from amber ethnocentric to orange modern world-centric to green postmodern relativistic, whose associated worldviews are often called traditional, modern, and postmodern. But any comprehensive account needs to include all of those basic factors, and not just levels. With regard to types, for example, Jonathan Haidt, a member of the IDW, has studied progressives and conservatives, and finds five overall types of moral processing that occurs with political decision, and outlines the different types of those that progressives and conservatives primarily engage in. Jordan Peterson has pointed out that research using a big five-factor analysis of types finds that progressives have more openness and conservatives have more conscientiousness, especially subtype order. He also suggests that conservatives tend to recognize the importance of social hierarchies and thus tend to want to conserve them, whereas progressives realize that hierarchies always create inequalities, and so they want to tear all of them down. Both of those views, Heights and Peterson's, are, I believe, true, if partial, items that need to be taken into account. And here's why adding a developmental aspect to this discussion is especially important. Its research points to a major ingredient that might be a significant aspect of any real way out of this nightmare of the culture wars, namely by taking the next major step in cultural evolution, that monumental leap of meaning to second tier integrated, unified, truly holistic way of unfolding. Along with addressing all the other relevant factors, addressing this factor surely will be a profoundly important part of any solution. I do agree with David Fuller of Rebel Wisdom website that one of the main reasons that the intellectual dark web has emerged in just recent times is that the IDW is the home of many people who are thinking very intricately, that is, who are thinking in second-tier terms, are using a truly integral consciousness. But they find little place in accepted culture that encourages this kind of truly inclusive thinking. So, we've been looking at the way that an integral meta-theory views the emergence of the recent culture wars, what's caused them, and most importantly, how we can move forward beyond them. In the course of this, we've seen the importance of understanding the role of development and evolution itself in helping people overcome the difficulties 
and limitations of these culture wars. We've looked at the major stages of development that are involved in the culture wars and the value systems that each of those stages tend to embrace. We've especially emphasized the yet higher stages that do indeed appear to be on their way, coming right at us, involving a stunning move from what Maslow called deficiency needs to being needs, a move we saw Claire Graves call cataclysmic and a monumental leap of meaning. This higher developmental move has been called the shift to second tier, to paradigmatic stages, integrated or integral stages, stages that are truly holistic, inclusive, and in the very best sense, involve genuine diversity. That is, are capable of embracing the greatest amount of diversity and number of perspectives of any developmental stages that we've had so far. Social justice advocates are right that these values of inclusion and diversity are absolutely crucial, but they disastrously deconstruct the growth hierarchies that allow us to actually reach those values. The resultant culture wars are a nightmare, and they are indeed driving a regressive retribalization to even more fragmented and polarized divisions. But what developmental studies tell us very clearly is that none of the presently involved viewpoints, traditional, modern, or postmodern, is capable of actually uniting and integrating these divisions. That is what indeed involves, at least in part, that monumental leap of meaning to an integral second tier, which gets its name from the fact that it can integrate all of the various first tier stages, including those now driving the culture wars. When discussing the problems generated by these culture wars, we focused on looking at the difficulties and the problems that the far left, the radical left, brings to this picture. Of course, the right, especially the far right, or the extreme right, most definitely has had its own problems. And I've dealt with those elsewhere. But here I mostly focused on the left, especially the extreme left, because it has been the leading edge of cultural evolution for over 50 years now. And so it deserves a special look and a special responsibility. And in this regard, a truly problematic thing that the far left embraced was an absolutistic version of equality. It really was a world-centric stage. It really did want equality for all people. But there are two very, very different versions of equality. And although they're both called equality, they really are quite different. They're actually quite contradictory. And this has been driving a really central conflict in the culture wars. One type of equality is based on the original, modern, world-centric, liberal view, a version that's called equal opportunity. Everybody who's qualified is allowed to participate, 
Nobody is kept out of events because of their race, color, sex, gender, ethnicity, or creed. This was the freedom that did everything from outlaw slavery to make individual rights sovereign to drive the American Revolution, while its rational aspects drove the emergence of most of the modern sciences, which began to emerge at the same general time in the 17th century. Postmodernism, on the other hand, first arose in a major way in the 1960s, and it was hypersensitive to any oppression that modernity said it would end, but still hadn't done so in any full way. In fact, some developmental models call this green postmodern stage the sensitive self, because it is so sensitive to social injustices. But there was a slight problem here. Postmodernism had already claimed that all values are egalitarian, that none are superior. This claim itself, as usual, was a major self-contradiction. It was directly claiming that its, that postmodernism's view is superior in a world where nothing is supposed to be superior. Among other things, it had a very strong value hierarchy that claimed all value hierarchies are bad. Okay, it was a bit hypocritical. You might be generous and say its heart was in the right place. In many cases, anyway. Well, in some cases. Well, at least in a few cases. But postmodernism really did not have the cognitive capacity to prioritize all of the different multicultural views that it came up with. As we've seen, that type of authentic prioritizing and genuine integrating would begin only at the next major stage, or integral second tier. This is why Commons and Richards called the first stage of second tier by the name paradigmatic, because it can pull together all the different parts and fragments that the postmodern metasystematic stage created, thus discovering truly unified disciplines that can actually create integrated results that are true paradigms. And the even higher next stage in second tier, which Commons and Richards call cross-paradigmatic, because this stage actually looks at all the different paradigms that exist and tries to find the commonalities and unities of all of those a truly integrated and unified view. But the postmodern stage, the green metasystematic relativistic stage, is stuck with all its fragments and meta viewpoints, and it really can't figure out a way to unify them or bring them together in any genuine sense. So by default, everything is simply proclaimed equal. And the resulting value system is a self-contradictory egalitarianism. Self-contradictory because it claims that it is absolutely true that the best value you can have is one that sees all values as equal. And so its own value is actually being claimed to be much better than all the other values. Whereas no value is supposed to be so clearly superior to all the others. 
So this value system ends up with a demand, not so much for equal opportunity or fully equal starting points, but rather for equal outcome or fully equal results or endpoints. What that means is that equal outcome will simply attempt to force everything to be absolutely equal in all ways. There's truly nothing superior or better than anything else. Not that everybody gets an equal chance to start the race fairly and at the same time, but that everybody finishes the race at the same time. Nobody wins or loses the game. Everybody gets a gold medal. Everybody gets the same participation medal. And remember, these types of events have already been started in many places around the country, including things like Little League Baseball. But it all makes sense from a green relativistic worldview, since nobody can be better or worse than anybody else. This whole stance ends up very quickly with that tag team from postmodern hell, nihilism and narcissism. Nihilism, because when all values are claimed to be the same, then no value is really worth anything. The whole world is a vast nihilistic emptiness. But all the broken fragments are equally worth nothing. When there is nothing but nihilism defining your world, there's no motivation left but your own narcissism. If nothing out there is real, what else is there to move me except my own self? So where did this leave postmodernism? For one thing, a pure and sustained deconstruction or nihilism in action just doesn't really leave any room for serious activism. After all, if everything is just an equal cultural interpretation among other equally relative interpretations, this just doesn't leave anything that a real activist can seriously protest. If it's all equally rotten, there's no reason left to engage in activism at all. So we have to insert some sort of privileged beliefs and values into this otherwise rampant relativism, or else there's nothing that the sensitive self can get upset about and protest. So into the void stepped the idea of power. The idea was that history itself was driven by power, and specifically the power of one group oppressing and subordinating all the other minority groups. This was something the sensitive self could really get behind. The idea itself, in its postmodern form, basically started with Foucault, who got it from Nietzsche. But Foucault meant it in a very specific way. His American followers took it that he meant that all knowledge of any sort is shot through with power in a very negative sense. But Foucault himself did not mean, for example, that the natural sciences were nothing but negative power. It wasn't the natural sciences so much, it was the human sciences. Foucault himself was a homosexual. And what really pissed him off 
where the so-called human sciences, like psychoanalysis, and especially the claim of psychoanalysis, that it had demonstrated how and why homosexuality is a mental illness or neurosis, that homosexuality is an aberration that was the result of things gone very pathologically wrong in childhood. The idea that this was a scientifically demonstrated truth absolutely infuriated Foucault. And so he set out to demonstrate that this whole idea itself was really just the latest in a long line of historical attempts of human beings to negatively judge other human beings as sick or sinful or evil or ill. And the invention of the modern human sciences, such as psychoanalysis, was just another in this long line of what was centrally a morbid power play. Foucault ended up softening this genealogy claim considerably in the same way that he had softened his previous archaeology claim earlier, although both of those approaches remained fundamentally developmental, as the names themselves suggest. But what Foucault was looking for in all of this, because most of our truth claims have some degree of cultural relativism to them, then how can we actually do interpretation with any sort of validity at all? Unfortunately, Foucault ended up contracting AIDS in a leather bar in San Francisco, and at a time before modern medicine had made AIDS essentially a chronic illness. And so we will never know what he finally thought about that crucial issue. This really is a shame. I was rather fond of Foucault, give or take. So what was left of postmodernism? Well, with all of its self-contradictions and limitations, it remains one of the primary homes of the sensitive self the green self and its relativism. As we earlier noted, research indicates that around 20% of the population in most Western countries today is at this green, relativistic, egalitarian, metasystematic, sensitive self stage as a very general overall wave of development. Karl Marx was one of the first modern egalitarian thinkers, but the communistic system that he developed as his form of egalitarianism, because it really was not capable of effectively integrating or unifying the various stages of human development, it appealed directly to elitist intellectuals, but ended up being mostly embraced by the ethnocentric, tribalized stages wherever it was employed, from the Soviet Union to Mao's China to Pol Pot's Cambodia, where it drove amber collectivist systems that were massively murderous. By the late 1960s, this egalitarian stage itself had first begun to emerge on a serious scale. And since it was, by that time, the very leading edge of cultural development, then most of the best and brightest thought leaders of the boomers were riding on it. 
And as they moved into institutions like academia and the universities, they began to dominate them. Today, in the form of the far left, postmodernism, by whatever name, is probably the leading philosophical orientation of most leading Western universities, at least in the humanities. The humanities, indeed, have been largely sidetracked by this. And humanities, as such, are no longer really taught in academia. They've been replaced by various forms of broken green, relativistic, egalitarian, power-driven, far-left indoctrination. That's a fairly strong way to put it. But most of the intellectuals on the IDW would agree. It's one of the general conclusions that they share. Now, I fully agree that both left and right viewpoints need to be included in anything like an integral or transpartisan politics. But mostly, we don't see that in universities today. Jonathan Haidt's research has found that in the 1950s, the ratio of left and right-oriented professors was about 4 to 1. Today, it's over 20 to 1. There just are no right-wing views in the social sciences. And this prejudice, as a prejudice, is truly not a good thing. All it's doing is reinforcing broken green and its ethnocentric identity politics and consequent fracturing and retribalization of culture. It's often said that postmodernism today is largely the result of what is called cultural Marxism or a neo-Marxist ideology. I think that's partially true. But a central important issue here is that both typical postmodernism and traditional Marxism itself are driven primarily by the egalitarian metasystematic stage of thinking. You'd suppose that after the unprecedented carnage caused by Marxism, wherever it was actually put into practice in the 20th century, notice Hitler's fascism murdered some 13 million people, around 7 million intellectuals, gypsies, gays, and 6 million Jews. But Marxism killed well over 100 million people in things from the Soviet's Gulag Archipelago to Mao's Cultural Revolution. So you'd think that Marxism would be abandoned on the evidence. But the idea is that it morphed into postmodernism and that it's hiding out there, like two complete idiots together will pass for smart. But no, again, I do think there's some truth to that, some truth to the notion that postmodernism as a philosophy is a dressed-up version of neo-Marxism. And anyway, many of the postmodernist founders were avowed Marxists. But a really central reason that these ideas keep showing up and showing up and showing up is that the green meta-systematic stage itself keeps showing up. It's now an inherent stage 
of overall human development and will be passed through by anybody who grows that far. This green stage and its relativistic, egalitarian, sensitive self-values keep showing up. The very ways that it thinks keep showing up. That stage is now, as we noted, a given in overall human development. And as the king of first-tier development, we call this green relativistic stage as the highest stage in first-tier. And so this relativistic egalitarian stage is going to keep appearing in one form or another. It's going to show up wherever human beings show up. And it's going to keep being fairly central, at least as long as it remains the leading edge of human and cultural development, which it has been for the past four or five decades. Not to say that its context can't change, because that can happen and will happen with an integral second tier, as we'll see in a moment. But by the way, one of the reasons that developmental studies are found so rarely in today's academic climate is that starting in the 60s and 70s, as anti-hierarchical green began to dominate the universities, it confused growth hierarchies with dominator hierarchies and totally threw the both of them out. This anti-hierarchical, egalitarian, relativistic value system is driving most humanities to this day. And hierarchies in general are considered the very source of all oppression. Instead of seeing that growth hierarchies are the only way you effectively end oppression. But once this anti-hierarchical atmosphere had settled on academia, developmental studies everywhere started to suffer and almost entirely disappear. And today, in academia overall, it's a perspective that remains largely vacant. Any good news here? Well, we mentioned that when it comes to integral second tier, about 5% of the population now appears to be at that unifying stage of development. You do tend to find a higher percentage of thought leaders in any field who are at those integral stages. Because one of the ways that you get to be a thought leader in any field is by being able to take truly integrating, synthesizing, holistic approaches to that field. And the evidence suggests that when this new leading edge stage reaches around 10% of the population, which is what integral is headed toward, then it does become the new genuinely leading edge of development. And its values begin to seep throughout and to some degree saturate the mainstream culture itself. So right now, we are between two dreams. There's the old dream of the postmodern worldview, which nobly and honorably wanted a genuine freedom and equality for all people, but which lacked the integrating and unifying capacity to actually be able to integrate the various tribes. And this ended up dividing them even further. 
And then there's the new dream of an authentically integrated and unified approach, which truly understands real unities in diversity and is the most inclusive stage of development that has yet been reached by humanity on the whole. The thing about inclusive values is that human beings are not born with them. Human beings have to undergo a real development, and each new stage of development is more and more inclusive, moving from me to us, to all of us, to all beings without exception. Trying to deny and deconstruct all growth hierarchies is a disaster, because those growth processes are the only way that we as a species can actually reach those genuinely inclusive capacities. Unlike with dominator hierarchies, where each higher stage is more oppressive and more exclusive, with growth hierarchies, each higher stage is less oppressive and more inclusive. If you destroy those inclusive hierarchies, you destroy inclusivity and diversity itself. And all you have left is a tribal warfare with each tribe intent on the destruction of the others. It's this genuine inclusivity and integrating capacity that I see the intellectual dark web both expressing and aiming for. Megan Down in the LA Times gives a good summary of the IDW. Some in this movement are liberal and some are conservative. They come from a range of backgrounds, professions, generations, and identity groups. They differ on details, but they are united by a common set of frustrations and corresponding goals. To put it simply, they wish to foster a new discourse that can allow innovative thinkers to wrestle with the world's problems without having to tiptoe around subjects or questions deemed culturally or politically off limits. In other words, they're not too worried about hurting the feelings of the sensitive self. And they're clearly trying to make room for all of the presently existing value systems, but truly brought together and generally integrated. They recognize the importance of group identity, but they don't absolutize it. So they include the amber ethnocentric stages, they just don't idolize them. And they include orange modern liberal values, as many of them say were traditional liberals. But they're also fully aware of Green's diversity and a real necessity to find a genuine unity in all this diversity. This is why so many of them are truly integral, second-tier thinkers. They really are trying to discuss and elucidate what Graves called that monumental leap of meaning. And this type of discussion is starting to happen now due to several factors, certainly including the emergence of the internet, but also, and especially I believe, the beginning emergence of second-tier integral consciousness itself which is starting to affect every major field of human endeavor 
and is striving toward the most inclusive and comprehensive mode of awareness that human beings have ever seen, certainly on any sort of significant scale. If we really are at the beginning of a truly integral age, then we are on the edge of the greatest transformation that has yet to hit humanity. As that great film All About Eve said, fasten your seat belts, it's going to be a bumpy night. But here's the point I want to end with. It's just a small portion of a larger integral view, but it's very encouraging. If the many developmental models that I've mentioned here have any sort of validity, then lying right on the other side of our presently fragmented and highly polarized factions, there is a developmental unfolding towards a genuinely unified and integrated wave of consciousness. And as that wave becomes even fairly widespread, some studies suggest around 10% of the population, whatever it is, that would mean there is a genuine counterforce operating in the culture at large that's acting against this intensely polarizing and dividing force that is now so dominant. And this is about the only major counterforce to polarization that can be seen on the horizon. I do think that the intellectual dark web is, at least in this measure, expressing this emergent, unifying, and integrating trend. And I think that is, indeed, very good news. This is Ken. Please take care.